Taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zielinski. The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now... Here is your host, and time watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hello listeners around the globe, and a shout out to the WWCR listeners. Welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show. I am, of course, your host, Sheila Zielinski, and thank you for tuning in today, Monday, February 2nd, 2015. I have a very special guest joining us this hour. It is my privilege to bring on such a highly acclaimed superstar in the realm of spiritual warfare, he is a powerful deliverance minister and author of two best-selling books, the first book, Dark Force, and the second, Delivered. His story has been featured on many TV shows, but he didn't reach this level of notoriety without it costing him dearly. In fact, he has a very sad, heart-wrenching story of what happened to him and his family as a result of the dark forces at play, but the good news of the story is that what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. And now he helps people around the globe get freedom from demonic affliction that he knows all too well. Bill Bean, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Sheila. I couldn't have said that better myself, and uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be on with you. It's such a privilege to have you finally on. You wrote two books, one called Dark Forest and the other Delivered, that tell the story. But for listeners tuning in today, Bill, who have never heard the name, Bill Bean, never heard your story, because you really had a horrific, traumatizing experience growing up. Son of a carpenter, mother housewife, two siblings. Take us back to the 1970s, growing up in that little town of Herondale, Maryland. Yeah, it was uh, horrific, to say the least. And um, my parents, they were married in 1956. My sister was born in 57. And I was born in 66, and my brother was born in 69, and we moved into the house in 1970. And, you know, I say in Dark Forest that it all began when we moved into that three-bedroom ranch-style home located in Glen Burnie, Maryland, in a community called Herondale. And it actually goes much further back because I'd found out additional information after writing Dark Forest, and I touched it, uh, on it in my second book, Delivered, that a family member many, many, many years ago had actually done something to conjure up these evil forces. And it came on to the family a very long time ago. Found out my mother had 
paranormal supernatural experiences in her childhood as well. And I feel that uh, whatever was conjured up, you know, the original evil force that was conjured actually led us to that house where evil was already present and manifest. And that's why it was so severe for my family and I. We were in the middle of this storm that greatly contributed to the destruction of my family. And I recall from the age of four, I was four years old. My sister, she was 13 when we moved into the house. I just, from the first time I saw it, I just had a very, very bad feeling about it. My sister said the same thing. I was frightened. The house was semi-dilapidated. It sat at the bottom of a downhill cul-de-sac with a very large and deep ravine behind it. My dad, who was a master carpenter and a contractor, did quite a bit of work restoring the house and, and made it look good. But I'll never forget the first time that I saw the house. And you would walk in through the front door and It was equally as ominous and foreboding on the inside. It had dark brown paneling on the walls, almost black in color, so it was always very dark in the house. And you would walk into uh, a living room. You'd make a right down a long hallway, which had the dark brown paneling on the walls going down, and it had uh, a tiled floor, hard tile. And oftentimes, I'd be laying in bed at night and hear these footsteps coming down the hall, and it sounded like someone wearing combat boots or hard sold shoes and it would reverberate off of that paneling. It was very loud and um, none of us slept very well in the house that's for sure. And can you imagine this going on for 10 years? It it went on from 1970 to 1980. That's uh, how long we lived in the house. And my dad really I feel he was affected from the start and he was a good man. He was a hard working family man was a man's man, no-nonsense individual, very hard-nosed, but yet very kind, and uh, was blessed with every attribute necessary to be highly successful in life. And the way his life ended, and and my mother as well, was just so sad and tragic. But uh, he was the first. I think that he was under spiritual attack from the very beginning. And he was a man that was um, used to being in control of every situation, but suddenly found himself in a situation that he couldn't control. And I think this led to his abuse of alcohol. Both of my parents were social drinkers, and we had family gatherings in the beginning. But uh, as time went by, his dependency and abuse of alcohol greatly increased. And with that came his, his demise in every aspect of his life. Now, my parents believed in God but we didn't have any true faith-based background. We had never attended church as children. We were never baptized. And so I feel that there was no covering over the house. However, in saying that, I always had this blind faith in God. It was just this automatic faith that I knew he was real. I knew he was there. The first time I called out for Jesus Christ, uh, I believe I was seven years old, So I had this faith despite everything that was taking place. And my mother was the first to have an experience in the house. It took place shortly after moving in. And it happened in a living room one day while I'm packing and uh, organizing things. My dad, William Sr., who had taken us, uh, my sister Patty, my brother Bobby, he was one at the time. He had taken us with him for the day over to his parents' house, my grandparents, and uh, wanted my mother to 
have peace and quiet while she was unpacking some things and organizing. And it was during the course of this that she felt a presence come into the room. And she thought that it was my dad sneaking into the room to play a joke on her. He had that type of sense of humor. And she spun around fully anticipating on seeing him and her shock. Nothing was there. So she was taken aback and unnerved and perplexed uh, by this and was able to collect herself eventually and go back to what she was doing. And then one of the bedroom doors slammed shut by itself, and that was enough to make her go outside and wait until we returned. So that's where it started with that, and it escalated into uh, noises, sometimes rapping on the wall and banging on the walls. The TV would turn on and off by itself. Water faucets would turn on in the bathroom and the kitchen with such force that it would saturate the areas uh, around the sinks. And um, foul odors would manifest out of seemingly nowhere. And my mother would make the beds in the morning, and she would go back uh, and find them torn apart. And so this is how it all began, and it gradually escalated into violent physical attacks on us from these demonic entities that greatly contributed to the destruction of my family. Here, here's your family in the middle of a demonic storm. You talked about choking and fighting and scratching, being picked up and thrown. Now, your mom was dragged down the hall by her hair. She even levitated. You've got all this incredibly unbelievable stuff going on with your mother, but where is your dad in all of this? What was your dad doing? And with my father being under such strain and stress uh, from these paranormal supernatural events, uh, again, he was a man that was used to being in control of every situation. He finally, suddenly found himself in a situation that he could not control. And this led to alcohol abuse, alcoholism. And with that, uh, he began to physically abuse my mother on a regular basis between 1973 and 1975, nearly killing her on several occasions. I have no doubt, looking back on this, that these demonic forces were able to enter him and fuel his rage towards my mother while under the influence of alcohol. This is why it's so important. And we all have free will. We're free to make our choices However, I stress and urge people to think before you drink and drug and anything else that will open doorways for the enemy and his minions to come in. Because once they come in and Satan deals in legalities, and if he feels he has a legal right to be there, he will be there and God will allow it because of our free will. And so I tell people, um, please think before you make certain choices because you could be opening doorways to the enemy and once that that's uh, a real will take place. So my dad, um, again, I just shake my head because he was such a good man that uh, um, just seemed to be so overwhelmed by everything that he was making some very, very bad choices. And uh, this was a man that I saw as a heroic type of figure. I very much wanted to be like him. And, and you know, after this horrible transformation had taken place to where now he's a raging alcoholic and he's someone I very much hated at the time, I'm sorry to say. But I can recall running and having to get the police called on him. Uh, at the age of eight years old, I recall running to a neighbor's house and um, you know getting the police called on my dad because he was just killing my mother. And you know these are horrific memories. These are things that I wouldn't wish on anyone. And these are the types of things that the enemy delights over. 
He feeds off of these things. His minions feed off of these types of things, and they grow stronger. So uh, he left us, my dad, he, he left us in 1975 and left us in such a bad way. My mother couldn't work. My mother was very ill from the time we moved in. She uh, began had began to suffer from high blood pressure, which led to a series of strokes, which ultimately led to kidney failure. And she could not work, so we had to go on welfare. You know, after he left, and um, it was just so disheartening for my mother. All the things that were taking place, and just all the circumstances uh, that had led to the family being torn apart like this. And after my dad's departure. These demonic forces began to physically attack my mother on a regular basis. And it had gotten to the point to where she couldn't sleep in her bed anymore. She had to ended up, my brother and I shared the first room on the right. My parents' room was the second room on the right. My sister's room was the uh, uh, last room on the left across the hallway. And um, my mother was having these entities come to her and they would choke her. And, and they would leave bruises on her and scratches. And, and my mother had these things on her long after my dad had left. And yes, there were times that uh, she would try and lay down in the afternoon to take a nap. And an unseen force would actually levitate the sofa with her on it. And she would have to jump off of the sofa and run out of the house uh, to a neighbor's house until we came home from school. And my brother and I missed a lot of school as children because we didn't get proper rest. We were not eating properly. We were, uh, you know, under such stress and strain. And I was also being physically attacked. And I suffered many physical attacks from the age of five. And this went on throughout the years. And after each one of these attacks, I would feel like I had flu-like symptoms. I would have high fevers and body aches and sore throats and all these kinds of things. And this went on for quite a while. But my mom... She suffered truly more than any other person I've ever seen in my life. And she uh, she suffered many, many physical attacks. And yes, she was picked up by the back of the neck and hurled through the air across her bedroom, landing into her makeup table, and she was cut open. And it was just awful. It was, and you know, when that happened, I uh, just went into a rage. And, and that was 1979 when that happened. And I was 13 years old. And I had, uh, this happened right after a discussion with my Uncle Clifford, who was my uh, father's older brother. And he had shared with me that we could take power and authority over this garbage by the mighty power of God in Jesus' name. And for the first time, I had hope in my life. And little did I know that right after that discussion, I would engage in my first battle against these demonic forces I was asleep, and something woke me up out of my sleep, and I couldn't see anyone or anything there, but I knew something was there. And as soon as I got out of bed, a tremendous force grabbed me by my shoulders, throwing me back on the bed, pinning me on my back. And you know, Sheila, I've given over 1,500 interviews, and each and every time I talk about this, it just, uh, it'll give me a chill, because that was one of the most traumatic things out of everything, and I've suffered many traumas. But that was one of the most traumatic things that I'll that I could possibly remember. I'll never forget it. I felt like I was going to die. I felt like my heart was jumping out of my body. I tried to scream out for my parents, and my mouth wouldn't work. I felt totally paralyzed. The only thing that worked were my eyes. 
And this experience seemed like it lasted for hours. I'm sure it only lasted for minutes. But many horrible things happened during that experience. And I will never, ever forget it. And it's something that I wouldn't wish on anyone. And no one should ever have to endure that type of trauma. Well, one of the things that people will naturally ask, of course, as you said, you lived there 10 years. Why didn't you guys just pack up and say, we're out of here? I mean, that is a natural question, right? Well, that's the most frequently asked question. And the reason for it is that after my dad had left in 75 and, you know, things had gotten much worse, now that the the strong one was out of there, these entities could pretty much have their way with us. And my mother was coming under these regular physical attacks. And my grandmother, her mother, wanted us to come stay with her, but she had a one-bedroom apartment. She and my step-grandfather, they shared a one-bedroom apartment. So my mother was not going to burden them with us. And then my aunt, uh, my mother's sister, she wanted us to come stay with her. And she had eight children and a husband. And again, my mother was not going to be a burden to them. And as time went by, each and every one of us came under demonic oppression, and we were all doing things way out of character. And I think it got to the point where my mother didn't want to leave there for a while. And it wasn't until 1980 to where she would have that change of heart that she knew that she didn't want to endure it any longer, and and certainly none of us. And, And at that point in time, she had a new man in her life. And we ended up uh, leaving in December of 1980 and, and moving in with him. Well, it's so fascinating when I think about your dad. I mean, you talked about him being under heavy-duty oppression and being the head of the house once he left. I mean, that must have been really devastating for a young family, especially back then when divorce was not that common. And he just walks out on the family. I mean, that's quite staggering to think about it, leaving everybody to fend for themselves. How did you feel about that? Well, you know, I hated him for many, many years. I had a burning hatred for him, and I'm sorry to say that because uh, Jesus, one of his main messages was forgiveness, and I understand that because we need to forgive in order to be forgiven, and we need to forgive because if we don't forgive and we hold on to these types of things, it's spiritual poisoning. And so I fully understand why he had that reoccurring theme in forgiveness and so i was happy to have been able to uh, have forgiven him before his untimely death which he was shot to death in 1987 and so that felt like a tremendous burden off of me that i was able to have made peace with him and, and forgiven him for everything and it wasn't all his fault i really do believe that he was under demonic oppression and i feel that the main reason that he left us was that uh, he felt that had he stayed, he really would have killed my mother. And I believe that. So I guess by his leaving, he was literally detaching himself from the possibility of committing murder. And I could very easily see how that would happen and how it could have happened. So it took many years for me to uh, get to that place to where I was able to forgive him. But, you know, shortly after leaving the house in 1980, two tragedies occurred. My beloved grandmother 
Dora Harvey suddenly died from a series of heart attacks. And then two months and two days later, my beloved mother, Patricia Bean, died from a cerebral hemorrhage at the age of 44. And these were the two closest people to me in my life, and they were suddenly gone. And I really didn't want to live anymore, to be honest with you. And we were all so mentally beaten down. We were defeated mentally, spiritually, and physically. And when people get into that type of situation, it can escalate from demonic oppression to demonic possession because the enemy's M.O. is divide and conquer and to kill, rob, and destroy and to wear a person down to the point to where they don't want to fight anymore. And when the person gives up the will to fight, that's when the possession could take place. So I assure you, we were not too far from um, the demonic possession stages. And I was to a point in my life after those tragedies had taken place that I would have loved for someone to come up uh, with a gun and put it to my head and pull the trigger. I mean, that's how tormented I was. That's how dark and empty I was for so long. And I had to grow up very, very quickly. I quit school in the eighth grade. I lied about my age, and I went to work for a construction company. And I was a skinny, undernourished kid that had suffered unfathomable traumas for many years. And I suddenly found myself in a man's world, and that turned me into a very strong and powerful young man that was very bitter and very dark, very empty, and who made many mistakes along the way. And I wrote about this in my second book called Delivered. This demonic oppression continued into my adult years. And I always seemed to make the wrong choice. And it was as if I had this dark cloud over my head. I, I could not find any happiness, peace, joy, success. And I didn't, I, I didn't exactly uh, put any effort into aspiring to be anything as well because I was choosing death. I was choosing darkness. I was choosing negativity. I was choosing despair. I was making all the wrong and the bad choices. Now, the enemy will aid in that. When we make the wrong choice, he'll be right there hand in hand. However, we are free to make our choices. God gave us that gift. And so for uh, all that time, I continued under that black cloud until I had an epiphany one day that I could do better and be better. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I could very easily be in prison right now or dead. I've been in many life-threatening situations. You know, starting uh, into that construction field, I built my body up. I uh, became a very powerful young man, and I started lifting weights and all these things. And I was always a great athlete, and then I got involved in... Uh, uh, martial arts and I had boxed and wrestled and all these things and then I became a bar bouncer and I worked in the bar nightclub business for 22 years could write a book just on those experiences and um, I have been in many life-threatening situations I disarmed a gunman who had fired twice and had the weapon up to the head of another person I have uh, could tell many many tales about those types of events but God was with me every step of the way 
And looking back on everything, I certainly wish that I could go back and change some things. And, and certainly when it comes to the suffering of my mother, if I could go back and change it, I would. But I can't. So all I can do is continue to move forward. And as horrible as those things were, I do believe that God allowed some of those things to happen as a test for me to see if I could be the man and the warrior that he wanted and needed me to be for him. And so I could not be where I'm at right now had I not been there. It's a horrendous upbringing. You had some dark times in your adulthood. When did you finally get the freedom and deliverance you needed from all of this? It was a process. And um, after I had this epiphany, I decided that I was going to make God first and I was going to, you know, as a child, going, you know, all, when those tragedies took place and many other family tragedies have taken place as well. Most of my family is gone. So, you know, in those teenage years, when I went to work at that construction company, you know, I hung out with the worst of the worst people. I grew up on the streets and, um, again, made a lot of mistakes. After having this epiphany, I decided I was going to draw closer to God and make him first. And I began to study. You know, I, I felt intellectually inadequate. I wanted to tell my story for many years, but I was embarrassed due to my lack of education. And um, I felt that I could never, ever be in a position like this because I was dumb. Who would listen to a dumb guy? And so I carried that for many years. I lived in the negative for many years. And uh, when I decided to make God first, I began to study anything and everything. Ancient religion, ancient history, um, the 66 books of the King James Bible, the other 534 that were left out. You name it, I've studied it. And God increased my wisdom and knowledge far beyond anything that I could ever imagine in my life. I'm very happy to tell you that I'm an educated man now. So for those out there who would think that they're beyond redemption or they think that they are not educated enough to move forward in life, that is a lie from the enemy. If we walk in faith, and the only way that we can walk in faith, true faith, is to make God and keep God first and to follow that path that Jesus Christ laid out. And if we can do these things, then we will carry a mantle of faith, strength, and courage. That's why God had such favor on David. He slew a 12-foot-tall giant because he had faith, strength, and courage, and God honored him. And so I very much operate in that order. And I certainly don't make any comparisons to David, but I try to be that way, and I try to follow the path that Yeshua, Jesus the Christ, laid out. And I try to be the best that I can be each and every day. And I try to be a blessing to somebody each and every day. So this was a process. Um, so I say that it was probably around the year 2000 that I was really seriously trying to make God first. And, and even before that, but I would still make bad choices. You know, I um, back in maybe the late 90s, you know, God started putting some things on me and I still wasn't there yet. But I would have to say it was, it was probably uh, around 2000 
when I started getting serious and seriously trying to draw closer to God and then educating myself. And then a haunting had contacted me. That's the TV series on Discovery Channel. And they had contacted me about uh, doing my story. And this was in 2005. And I decided that I was going to do it. And uh, I was also writing Dark Force around that time. And so the A Haunting episode aired on September 7, 2006. It's one of the most watched episodes in the history of uh, the series. And um, it has a worldwide audience. And people from around the world began to contact me. And some of these people were in need. They were having these demonic problems. And I would refer them to other people I thought that could help. Certainly had no intention of ever being in a position to help anyone spiritually. And so after the A Haunting episode aired, you know, people were just contacting me from everywhere. And that has continued to this day. So other opportunities came and I started doing all these other shows and interviews. And the more that I studied, the more confident I became in my education and in my faith. Because again, I was truly making an effort to make God first in my life, but it wasn't until God had really put it on my spirit that I needed to be baptized. I needed to make this final covenant with him. I needed to be blessed, sealed, sanctified, purified, cleansed, and made holy before him. And so I decided that's what I was going to do. My wife and I got baptized together. It was the greatest day, and I was sincere about making that covenant with God. And that is when my whole life changed. And that is when he put the calling on me to help other people. A calling that I did not want. A calling that I never, ever, ever in a million years thought that I would be doing. And yet God put that so strongly on my spirit. And I was very much like Jonah in the beginning. I kept trying to ignore it and I kept trying to just do anything but that but I could no longer ignore it and I engaged in extensive studies and became a non-denominational ordained minister and uh, I began to help people and little did I know and as you know God always has the plan and everything is for a reason he knew what he was doing and from the very first time that I went to help someone I knew it was the right thing. I knew that this was my calling from God. And after so much resistance, I look back on that and I say, now there's nothing else that I would rather be doing with my life than helping people. So since that time, God has worked through me to help hundreds and hundreds of people all around this country and in other countries as well. I recently did um, Skype sessions and Skype deliverances with people from Belgium, the Netherlands, um, Greece, and Dublin, Ireland. It's just absolutely amazing, Sheila. I travel all over the country. I just got back home after a grueling um, seven-city trip in six days, and I uh, flew on one leg of it and then uh, drove on another leg of it and the driving part was treacherous because I um, drove here from Maryland where there was some ice and snow, and I 
uh, drove into Virginia and then um, West Virginia and Tennessee and uh, ended up in Hazard, uh, Kentucky at Faith Restoration Church where I performed 20 deliverances in that church on that night. It was last Monday night. And um, prior to that, I'd performed several deliverances you know, in different parts of Tennessee, Nashville, Knoxville, Kingsport, um, and then went into Hazard, Kentucky. And uh, it was just amazing, amazing beyond words. And then I returned home for one day and had to fly right back out to Dayton, Ohio, and went and performed two more deliverances uh, for two separate families there. And I'm going back out again on Monday to Dallas for three days. So it just never ends. It is just unbelievable, but unbelievably blessed. And I am a walking miracle and a shining example of God's love, mercy, and goodness. And if he will do this for me, he will do it for anyone who will call on him, accept Jesus Christ, and walk in faith, strength, and courage. Well, it's so amazing that today, here you are, a deliverance minister, and you counsel many oppressed and afflicted people, and I imagine it's very rewarding. But, I mean, you can relate to their torment. How do you deal, Bill, with people who are tormented and afflicted, but they don't believe it's demons? It's just written off as it's personality disorders. Some people write them off as complete you know, they're written off as mental patients or nut bars. Nobody really wants to talk about demons that much nowadays, I find, especially in the North American church. Yeah, well, the the churches, and, and that's why I'm so busy now, because the churches turn a lot of these people away, and it is very, very sad. Uh, I look at it like this. Even if there are people who are mentally ill, and I have to tell you, Demonic activity and demonic oppression and possession goes hand in hand with some mental uh, illness cases. And for me, I try to follow how Jesus was and how he would have been when he was on this earth in showing love and mercy and kindness and compassion to people. So whether they are schizophrenic, and I've had some of those cases, I still offer love and support and kindness and mercy to these people just as God does and so I will still go to them still pray for them and they find great comfort in knowing that they have someone that is supporting them and someone who cares about them and someone who is not writing them off because there's a lot of people that feel so, you know, when they are written off, it, it kind of spirals them into worse depression and oppression and repression when they are written off. Because there is a big stigma around this, especially, I mean, I, as a person who does deliverance and healing, I mean, I've seen people physically manhandled by demons. One guy I knew was thrown down a set of stairs. I know a lady strangled the guy that was doing deliverance with me, almost unconscious. They're... You know, they manifested with superhuman strength. I mean, there's many accounts. And yet again, people want to write people off that have these type of manifestations as complete whack jobs. And I think the bottom line is you talked earlier about these gates that we open. And you're right. Satan's always watching to for a doorway, for an entryway to get in there. Because then, then obviously you're giving permission, so to speak. But it's pretty clear that your mother had familiar spirits in her generational line. I mean, obviously you broke that generational curse, but what people 
don't understand is that we can come in with a boatload of curses going back. The Bible talks about 10 generations. Obviously, there was some familiar spirits in her generational line. No question about it. And again, I I caution people and I urge them to be very, very careful about what they're doing. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of soldiers that come to me that have come back from Iraq and Afghanistan. They tell some very unpleasant tales, to say the least, and and tales of uh, not only death and destruction, but tales of demons being there with them while this is going on and demons following them back home. Well, and it doesn't help that half just knowing a four-star general told me two years ago that there is 95% of soldiers are all hopped right up on all sorts of pharmacia. You know, they're Mm -hmm. all addicted to porn. They just, and then they get written off with post-traumatic stress disorder and other forms of mental illness. It's very strange, but that word pharmacia in the Greek is sorcery. So I find, you know, we have a multi-trillion dollar industry of pharmaceuticals and it's a sci-fi that every single person almost that I know is hopped up on something, whether it's heart meds or antidepressants. I mean, it is a nightmare that every single person is on one or more kinds of these pharmacological drugs. And a lot of these are psychotropic drugs, Bill, the SSRI kind of drugs that are for, these are psychotic medications that can absolutely wreak havoc. You're exactly right. And we have become a nation, and and even in your country, the same thing, of pill junkies. And it is very sad, and this is by design. Now, I wasn't going to go there, but I will, since this door has been opened. We'll expand on this a little bit. It's my belief that there is a satanic seed line that is still on this earth, and they are in the high places, and they know who they are, and they know what they're doing, and they are in direct communication with Satan and his minions. And they are carrying out these agendas on the people because, again, it's all about killing and robbing and destroying. And so there are very few leaders left in the world, very few good leaders. So the world's made up of mostly followers. And it just never ceases to amaze me how people are so easily manipulated and led into these trends. And uh, this one's got to have this because this one has it. And. Uh, you got to take this pill and that pill because this one does it. No, it'll do this and it'll do that. And just the, the TV programming and the movies and the music, it is just garbage. We are saturated with things that make us mush mind. I'm sorry to say. And again, not everything. There are still very few decent programs and, and some decent music. But for the most part, popular music popular movies and the TV programming is absolute mind programming and it is garbage designed to dumb people down to the point to where they can't even think anymore uh, to question anything or to be a leader in any way. They just follow along. Well, we see that every theme, whether it's a TV lineup or it's a, these helly weird sci-fis, it's just absolute mindless conditioning we're all being conditioned through these dehumanizing overtones of vampires and uh, the walking zombies, zombies the, yeah, the living garbage. dead all this garbage we're getting pummeled everywhere and i mean even if you look at the nazis luciferian eugenics plans they were testing psychotropic drugs and 
doing experiments on people. And it's amazing, the mind control, the MK Ultra, the different kinds of things they were doing back. And these guys were self-proclaimed Satanists. So they were really, these are the same Luciferian bloodlines that control things today. No question about it. And uh, I would say if someone is questioning that there's uh, a satanic seed line or not on this planet, I would say go back to Genesis 3, verse 13 through 15, where God, Yahweh, calls uh, Adam and Eve and the serpent Satan together. And he says, what have you done with the woman? Because you've done this, I will put enmity, which means hatred, between you and the woman. And I will put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. So he's saying it right there. Satan has a seed line. He had one then, and he's got one now. And these people are carrying out their agendas, and God's allowing it because of our free will. But I am thoroughly convinced and strongly believe that God is not going to put up with this much longer. And those who think that they're in control, those who think that they are God, they are going to find out who the real God is very soon. Well, I think it's very sadly unfortunate, too, in a time when we are seeing a rise in demonic manifestations. We're seeing a rise in this, again, the helly weird movies and this plethora, this litany of stuff that our young people are exposed to. We've got all these nightmarish biometrics and data mining programs. People are getting microchipped. Oh. And I mean, it is just a sci-fi. And then on top of that, you know, you throw in the mix of that bill, the fact that every, I mean, the biggest church in North America today is led by a guy who says, I don't preach on sin because every day is a Friday, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? And this is what we have become. So a lot of these churches don't want anything to do with me because I'm a poison pill. You know, it, it upsets their cookie cutter message. And it also would upset the cash registers if I came in speaking how I speak. I am a truth seeker. So I seek the truth so I know the truth so I can speak the truth so I can teach the truth. And the truth of the matter is I'm a walking miracle from God. I am a warrior for God. I have been called by God to bind and cast demons out of people. And I feel that it has to be a calling. It's not just something that you can say, hey, that's cool. I want to try that. If ever there was the disclaimer, do not try this at home, it would be for this. However, we see that a lot of these churches, they just don't want to go there. They won't go there. So that leaves people out in the cold. So when people are being victimized by Satan and his minions and they go to their pastor, he says, well, what do you want me to do? I'm not trained in that. I can't help you. And there they are. And now that has damaged their faith. And I pray that people find somebody like me or you that they could turn to for help because otherwise their faith is shattered and it just goes downhill from there. Well, and it's amazing that pastors don't want to talk about deliverance because Luke ten nine says, Behold, I give you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And he goes on there. So, I mean, obviously yeah. he's... You know, you see this theme over and over the Bible. In Jesus' ministry, a third of it was delivered. So we are commissioned to do what he did, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils, and preach the gospel. And I find it amazing that a third of Jesus' ministry, the pulpit does not want to really talk about it, like you just said. Incredible. Yeah, it is. It really is incredible. And you just shake your head and you look and you say, wow, how in the world 
that it get this bad this fast. And I think what's happening now is a lot of the big churches are being manipulated by the governments to not say too much about teaching the truth, that's for sure. They're, they're allowed to have this cookie-cutter message, but when you're under that 501c3, believe me, the government can uh, really mess with you in some ways. And um, there are some pastors now that are actually telling their congregations that it is okay that if you get chipped and you receive the mark of the beast, you can still be redeemed. Right. And these men are liars. The, this is a lie from the pits of hell. Yeah. And I urge people, don't follow these types of individuals because you're going to follow them right off the cliff into that fiery lake. Well, and you know what else is disturbing alongside this? Oh, you know, kumbaya, let's all shrug our shoulders and sing kumbaya here while Rome burns around us. As all this is as all this is ramping up, you like again, we have a litany of things going on here. We also have a very sinister transhumanist by the Ray Kurzweils and his band of merry men that are telling people that by 2017, we'll be able to upload our brains into our complete download, our consciousness into these avatars. I mean, they are trying everything. You know, oh, God yeah. created man in his image, but Satan's plan, of course, right from back in the garden was you can become like gods. And it is incredible how we see that theme playing out. You can see it in movies like Ulysseum, Gattaca, Splice, Transcendence. And it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and it's very true. And it's uh, just absolutely mind boggling. This is why it is so important for us to be um, guarding our minds. Guard your minds, pray in all things without ceasing, continue to keep God first and let him guide you, not these people with their mind control, mind programming agendas. Because once people take this mark of the beast, and I'm firmly convinced that it is these biochips or whatever you want to call them, once people take these things, now you are part of a machine and someone on the other end of a computer can literally hit keys that could cause a variety of things. If a person takes this chip and they decide, oh my goodness, what have I done here? I, I want this thing out of me and, and I'm going to rebel against the uh, powers that be. Someone on the other end of that computer with a keyboard can do something that either turn that chip off or cause a heart attack or whatever it may be. And that person's finished. And now they're cut off from God because they have received this mark of the beast. So I urge people, uh, if you don't believe a word that I'm saying here, I urge you to do the studies for yourself because knowledge is power and power perceived is power achieved. Well, and as Revelation thirteen seventeen says, no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. I mean, prophecy is on fire in the world today. We can see Revelations in Matthew 24. I mean, it's like a nature hike through the book of Revelations. And I think in any time of history, Jesus said there will never be another time like it. You know, we're really on the threshold of the Great Tribulation. And I believe it's imperative for people to get right with God right now, really, because if people think it's bad now, they ain't seen nothing yet. And if they don't want to talk about deliverance, well, isn't that convenient for Satan and his minions? Absolutely correct. Uh, I totally agree with you. What's happening here is just a total mind programming, a total mind conditioning, a total desensitizing of us as human beings. I mean, we're to the point now where just think about these 
goofy Black Friday things and all that. I wouldn't take part in a Black Friday. If you paid me a large sum of money, I wouldn't be a part of such a thing. And yet people will go out and they'll get in these lines and then they'll go and get into fights and trample over people. One man was died of a heart attack. He fell down. They kept trampling over him and nobody helped him. And, um, you know, we have things now to where people get hit by cars and they're down in the street and people walk over top of them. Well, people I mean, were stabbing each other over a toaster on yes. Black Friday. I mean, that is so unbelievable that there's really no bar which we can jump off of here. We're waiting around in the cesspool. I mean, how much lower on the rung go? I mean, we can't sink much lower here in society as far as the moral decline, really, can we? I totally agree. And then you see programming, um, like these little children putting dress them up like burlesque dancers and all this stuff. And uh, the mothers are living vicariously through them. And, and then, you know, you have all these pedophiles out there that delight yes. in watching programming like that. And, and these people have taken their children and literally prostituted them for gain, for money, and for notoriety and dress these five- and six- and seven-year-old kids up in these burlesque outfits. And, I mean, what in the world? What are these people thinking? Yeah, but a lot of these Illuminati kingpins and these royal bloodlines, these Luciferians, they are into the the pedophilia because it's uh, also the blood sacrifice, ritualistic kinds of twisted stuff. So, I mean, you can really see this culmination of it's all very demonic. And I guess that takes us full circle around you know, what we're talking about, people have to be aware that Satan's job description, as you said so eloquently, his job is to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's not playing games. So I think it's just imperative that people kind of get with the program, because too many people are kind of sitting on the fence. It's loosey-goosey, lukewarm doctrine, anything goes nowadays. You don't offend anybody. We don't want to say Jesus, because we might offend a Muslim. I mean, it is just... The church has become unrecognizable. And in fact, Tom Horn said on my show not that long ago, if my parents ever walked into a church, they would be casting out demons. Yeah, what's well, true. And I have gone to churches and cast out demons. I mean, the church I was just in, you know, I performed 20 deliverances, and that included the pastor and his wife as well. And then I, uh, six months ago, I was uh, in Cape Cod, Massachusetts at First Baptist Church there performing deliverance in the church and also for the pastor and his wife. And the churches are under attack, and it's sad because these pastors, not all, and I'm not judging or criticizing anyone, merely stating the truth, they are not equipped for spiritual warfare. It is not in their interest at all. It is not in the teaching. And a lot of these churches, they want to give a cookie-cutter message to make you feel good And there's nothing wrong with saying words of encouragement and uplifting people. That's wonderful. However, that's only part of what the message is. And people need to be strong in mind, body, and spirit, and they need to be armed. And the only way that we can be armed against the enemy and his minions is to, of course, have God first and keep him first and be covered by the blood of Yeshua, Jesus Christ. But in that, we must be fed knowledge, and it is the obligation and responsibility of these men of God to teach their flocks and to educate them, and that means in every aspect, and that's not happening because they want the feel-good message, so people are giving their money 
and I hear this theme over and over and over again. You make sure you give that money. Uh, God told me that if you increase your tithes for the next six months, he's going to give you a fourfold return on your investment. Our God's been reduced to some cosmic genie, some bellhop in the sky to bestow cars and cash on his followers. I mean, that prosperity gospel, they've replaced repentance with name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. And, you know, it's really interesting because if you look back, you know, they didn't have stately buildings or get on TV and become telepickpocketists. They turned (laughs) the world upside down and it wasn't over jets, planes, trains and automobiles. Correct. And uh, for anyone out there, who is in need or who would like to contact me or who would like to purchase uh, copies of my books. And I also offer free downloads of my books on my website for those who can't afford to buy my books. And my site is uh, www.billbean.net. I answer every single message. And it might take me a little while, but I promise you I will answer your message. If you are in need or you have a question, uh, please feel free to contact me and God will do the rest. Amen. Well, folks, Bill's website is also linked there on my website, weekendvigilante.com. I really appreciate again, Bill, you coming on the program so much. Well, God bless you, Sheila, and may God continue to uh, work through you to help many. Folks, thank you so much for tuning into the program tonight. That was Bill Bean, and again, his information is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. Shoot me an email and let me know how you like the show so far. If you have problems and you need some help, give me a call. Information is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. Don't forget, add me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. You can find the links right there on the right-hand side of the website. And folks, one other thing, remember, if you are being blessed by the program, please do what you can to support my ministry. And I thank you in advance for that. And don't forget, every Wednesday we have our prayer group. The information is linked again there at weekendvigilante.com. Thanks for tuning in. Good night and God bless. False teachers are God's judgment on people who don't want God, but in the name of religion, plan on getting everything their carnal heart desires. That's why a Joel Olstein is raised up. Those people who sit under him are not victims of him. He is the judgment of God upon them because they want exactly what he wants and it's not God. And you can line them all up along with him. That's where it is. For ourselves, teachers in accordance to their own desires. So you get a Benny Hinn in there who all he wants to do is tell you you're going to have a Mercedes Benz. Those people aren't victims. He is God's judgment upon them. They want what he wants. And so they accumulate him to themselves along with all those other teachers because they teach exactly what they want. Do you see that? You boast in the fact that God has children running around all over this country full of carnality, steeped in sin, doing whatever they want, and God does nothing according to your preaching. But they're saved, bless God. When you preach their funeral, you'll preach them straight into heaven. I've seen it a thousand times. Remember just a while back, a man in my own town in Illinois who was a known drug addict, drug dealer, fornicator, absolutely everything. And he is there. He passes away. 
And the pastor of one of the largest Baptist churches in the area, standing there, the funeral, that place is loaded with every person that's hardly ever been in church, drug addicts and everything you can imagine are all there in church to honor their dead friend. And that pastor gets up and he says, I praise God, I know this young man, he sowed a lot of wild oats, but when he was nine years old, I was there when he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior, and he's in heaven today. And all those lost sinners went straight out into the streets justified in their sin because of conservative evangelical Baptist preaching. That's typical in almost every church in this country.